0: Developing a discipline of joy requires the right kind of attitude, Um, and I want to give an example of the wrong kind of attitude and talk about why. Recently, there was an objection from a woman asking if she had to be a doormat in order to have a good marriage. (laughs) And the short response is, of course not. Um, it's it's utterly undignified to be a doormat. Advocating for holiness is not advocating for a sacrifice of a person's dignity. Now, obviously, it's very likely that this objection was stated in a highly emotional, um, maybe near nearing despair um, feeling. But what we feel is what we... Feel, right, Catholics are not cruel people who ignore or dismiss emotions, it's just the universal call to holiness goes beyond emotion. It's asking you to rise above your emotions and strive for constancy and consistency in your actions, regardless of your emotions. The doormat question comes up actually pretty frequently with regards to respect because. The thought process being, if I can't criticize my husband, if I can't express my disapproval, if I can't make ultimatums or demands to try to motivate him, if I can't ask other people to talk to him about shaping up and fixing himself and making everything right, then you know, does that mean I'm just supposed to shut up and take it, right? That's the expanded version of the doormat question. I want to rephrase this question for you in a way that Christ can very clearly answer. The question is, Is there indignity in silence? Is there indignity in silence? If you ask Christ this, what would he say? I think the best place to look for that answer is to look at how Christ responds to persecution because the question comes from a place of believing that one is being persecuted, right? So regardless of whether that persecution is real or imagined, Which it often can be when we're talking about a husband, because the overwhelming majority of Catholic husbands are not persecuting their wives, though wives will paint it that way. Regardless of whether the persecution is real or even if it is imagined, however, Christ's response applies in either situation, right? If Christ responds a certain way to persecution, why would we suppose that we are to respond differently? So let's go straight to the Passion. Just a short passage. This is from Mark chapter 14 verses 59 to 62. And this is where Jesus is before the high priest and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, and they're entertaining testimonies of various witnesses against Jesus. Quote, yet not even so. Did their testimony agree? And the high priest stood up in their midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he was silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. End quote. So right here, just three verses, we see that Christ chooses silence in the face of gross injustice. It says that the testimonies of the various, various witnesses against him did not agree. What an injustice. And yet he chooses to remain silent. It's beneath him to bother to waste words pointing out the discrepancies which would be apparent to anyone actually listening. And then when he speaks... It is to affirm a clear, simple, straightforward truth, and he doesn't get dramatic or nasty about it. So we see that sometimes Christ speaks, and sometimes he remains silent, and in both cases he maintains his dignity in doing so. Ladies, it's not about shutting up and taking it. It's about maintaining your dignity, both when you speak and when you have the prudence to be silent. If opening your mouth causes you to lose your dignity, if opening your mouth is an occasion of sin, then that's when you need to learn to keep it shut. But is that to say that you should never speak? No. See, those who were responsible for Christ's crucifixion were basically throwing adult-sized tantrums because Christ made them uncomfortable because Christ challenged them and because Christ was uncowed by them. The question is, in your marriage, are you the person throwing the adult sized tantrum or are you the person imaging Christ? Is it really dignified to be rude? Is it dignified to be cynical? Is it dignified to be unkind? Is it dignified to be a hypocrite? Yes, your husband has faults. No one's saying he doesn't. But is it dignified behavior to indulge frequently, consistently, in hypocrisy? You want your husband to change? Are you actively working on changing yourself? And if you want to speak, are you speaking words of kindness? Speak words of kindness. Speak words of gratitude. Speak your respect and your patience and your love. Speak all of those things. It's not about shutting up and taking anything. It's about choosing the words that amplify the beauty of your soul and invite others into the joy of Christ, rather than indulging in words which sully your soul and push others farther away from God and his kingdom. I shared this quote several months ago from Father Nathan Cromley of the community of St. John. He says, quote, Love is the bridge across which truth walks. End quote. Tough love, is very different from cruelty. Tough love never means disrespect. Tough love never means making someone else feel small and incompetent. Tough love never means going out of your way to punish someone. Honestly, usually what tough love really means is allowing someone to experience the natural consequences of their actions, refusing to interfere, in short, relinquishing inappropriate Control, which is a huge part of the discipline of joy, if you remember. Tough love doesn't mean manipulating someone into a place of pain. It means that if they're hurting because of their own choices, you were trying to inspire them to make a better choice beforehand, and you're still there afterwards trying to inspire them to make better choices moving forward. You respected their free will, and you did your best to be a fantastic example. Let's switch tracks for a minute and talk about grace. A few months back, we spotlighted Carrie Grace's The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. I want to share a new quote from that. This is from chapter 11. Quote, there are generations of people who don't know what it means to even be an adult, much less a spiritual adult. Spiritual adulthood usually depends on a basic level of maturity. One priest who forms seminarians confided to me that the first thing he has to teach many of them is how to be adults. Basic attitudes and habits like taking responsibility for one's actions, being considerate of others, using good manners, and punctuality are taught first. Grace builds upon nature. So there must be a functioning adult before there can be spiritual adulthood." End quote. Let's zone in on that last part. Quote, Grace builds upon nature. End quote. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> let's say that you're praying for the grace to be more respectful. If currently you're naturally disrespectful, meaning that over time, your knee-jerk reactions to your husband's actions are disrespectful and you're not doing anything to remedy that, then grace has nothing to build upon. If you truly wish to be more grateful, more respectful, more joyful, more patient, in a word, holier, there has to be some deliberate action on your part. If you're not actively doing anything to become more patient, such as coming up with a reminder system for yourself to breathe, to walk away from a situation and to then come back to it only if necessary and only once you've calmed yourself down, what does grace have to work with to help you become more patient? What does grace have to work with if you persist in your sin. Grace is not some magic thing that turns you into someone that you're not actively trying to be. Grace doesn't flip a switch inside of you that turns you from one thing into the completely opposite thing. Grace works with what you give it. For example, let's talk about St. Paul. St. Paul had this huge conversion, right? And if it seems to you like a switch just got flipped, Here's what I ask you to consider. Prior to St. Paul's conversion, what do we know about his nature? Prior to his conversion, Saul, right? His name was Saul prior to being named Paul. Saul was a zealot. He persecuted Christians because he was intensely protective of the messianic claim and the Jewish inheritance. He was part of a group of Jews who advocated for violence in defense of the God of Israel and all that Israel was promised in return for their faithfulness to God. The conversion of St. Paul did not fundamentally change his nature or, for that matter, his mission. Grace built upon what was already there. And when Christ revealed to Saul the truth that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah, that he had come to fulfill all of the promises made to the children of Israel, that he was there to bring to its fullness the faith which Saul claimed, Saul became a zealot for Christ. And as St. Paul loved violently in christ's name when you think of saint paul i don't know about you but i think of passion i think of perseverance i think of a fire that cannot be quenched a flood that cannot be held back it's a different kind of violence a violence that is captured when we say that god's love is relentless Well, St. Paul had that kind of relentless love for his Savior and for the Christian people, but grace built on the zealotry that was already within him. Grace built on the fire and the passion and intensity that already existed within St. Paul prior to his conversion. It made him a new man, but not by fundamentally changing his nature, Rather, St. Paul's faith elevated his nature and enabled him to use and expand his existing skill set for the kingdom. We need to understand this if we are to become spiritual adults and make headway in our own pursuit of holiness. Being grateful, being respectful, being joyful, patient, being holy ladies, if your perception of these things is that they turn you into a doormat, there's a problem. And that problem is a formational problem. I've said before that you don't get points for thinking differently. And what I mean by that is if there is a discrepancy between how you act and how you claim to think and to believe, then you need to either re-examine your claims or you need to modify your actions. We all know the saying, actions speak louder than words. Well, actions speak louder than thoughts, too. (laughs) And if your words reflect your thoughts, but your actions don't reflect your words, guess what? When the judgment comes, you're going to be judged on your actions, not what you thought, not what you said, not what you wanted and meant to do, but how you actually lived one last thought here to close out today's episode i want to issue a warning to beware the following trap we've talked about how the discipline of joy is a serious discipline in self-knowledge and self-awareness sometimes when wives pray for the grace to be say respectful of their husband um they're not actually praying for the grace to convert their own disrespectful responses to respectful ones, but rather they're praying for their husband to quit doing the things that they believe make him impossible to respect. It's like St. Augustine when he prayed, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Sometimes we pray, Lord, make me respectful, but first make my husband worthy of it. Right. In my experience with my husband's addictions, his mental health struggles, our financial disagreements, etc., I firmly believe that it's best to assume that even the very real problems will never go away. And that enables you to stop focusing on what's out of your control, which is your husband, and to focus entirely on what is in your control, which is your response to those problems. You want to talk about being a doormat? Victim mentality is being a doormat. Lying to yourself that there's nothing you can do to have a happier, healthier marriage is being a doormat. Sincerely striving for sainthood will always make your marriage happier and healthier. That's how holiness works. And next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about health and beauty. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast.